Hello, and welcome to the Emerald Gamescast episode, uh... 100! 70, 71, at uh, best. 100? Yep. 171? 200! 271! 300! No. The podcast that never ends. Emerald Gamescast episode 71, it's August 10th. My name's Nolan, with me is... I'm Janelle. And of course... I'm Alex. How you guys doing? <sighs> doing okay. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> You sound a little bit tired over there now. I'm watching a movie, now I'm tired. Yeah, we, we we finished a movie literally right before we started recording. Like, what movie? So, uh, um, Memories of Murder, the Bong Joon-ho movie. Oh, nice. Really good. Now I'm yeah. tired. I can't I, uh, make it through a movie without falling asleep these days. I also like, watched some, uh, some high cinema, actually. Uh-oh. Yeah, you just what came you back watch? from the theater, didn't I you? Did. I did. I, I went to the theater. I watched uh, some... Uh, distinguished uh, cinema. Uh, it's called it? Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, I've heard some things though. I've I've heard it's fun. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, but there's there's is someone it, in it, it. It's better. Like for sure, it's better, right? Oh, it's it's a movie, so yeah, it's better. Um, <laughs> but like, it's like it's. I mean, it's still a superhero movie at the end of the day. But it's like a fun, competent one. I if there was one of these every year instead of like. Th- eight marvel movies i'd be i'd be much more chill with the whole superhero hegemony thing but uh idris elba plays a character in it Mm. yeah and funny you say that yeah on idris elba's twitter he posted a a picture today listener you probably know because guaranteed this has fundamentally altered history and changed (laughs) changed all of your lives by now and this episode comes out in seven or eight days but uh idris elba posted a picture of (laughs) the knuckles Knuckles the Echidna Glove with the caption Knock Knock as a Sonic poster. I think it's funny that he... Well, I don't think it's funny because I wanted this, but he's not James Bond. He's Knuckles! <laughs> he's Knuckles. <laughs> How do you guys feel about this? And playing Knuckles. he's so talented, and I really liked the first movie, and I'm actively happy about... Like, he's going to be good. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't have any, like, wants or hopes, so I remember Janelle sending this to a group chat we were in, and I was like, you know what? I'm cool with this. Like, this is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I want to see Idris cool. Elba give this a shot. He's a good actor and a good man. Mm-hmm. I I think that it's really fun to see uh, a a character played by such a weird casting, though, because Knuckles is uh, I don't know. There's there's several different interpretations of Knuckles, and like most of the modern games in the Sonic series. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If there's some Super Sonic fan in the audience that knows better than me, but mostly he's kind of just played as like a goofball that takes himself too seriously. Uh, I, I know that the idea of Knuckles being, like, a true badass is one interpretation, but it's not one we see very often. Like, what what is Idris Elba's <laughs> interpretation going to be here? Is Knuckles actually going to be the badass of Sonic 2? He's going to be really cool. I think, is I he going to have... Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, I think he'll be the antagonist, and then, like, towards the climax of the movie, he'll be like, oh, no, Sonic's oh, the like good a, guy. Like in the one Sonic like game. Like a Sonic 3 that. type thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Are, first time he appeared, as far as I know. Is he going to give him an American accent? Or oh, is I he hope not. Be- oh, oh, I wonder. I, ho- I hope that Knuckles in Sonic 2 has, like, the deep, rumbling Idris Elba British the voice. The British accent, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guys. That being said, though, Idris Elba in The Wire... As Stringer Bell, oh you would God. you would never know that he was British. N- not only is his American accent superb, but his like like right in the middle of the project's uh, Baltimore voice is. I mean, obviously, I've never been to Baltimore, but like he matches the other actors and and real people from the area that appear in that show in a pitch perfect way. It's insane how good he is at that voice. So naturally he'll be incredibly talented at matching the other hedgehogs. <laughs> yeah. God. You guys, we're recording a lot later in the night than we normally do, and I feel like I don't know. I feel kinda like It's a new era for us. You know what I mean? I feel kinda yeah. like Well we should ooh, probably address like, we should like, cuss. We should probably address that we, we skipped Frick. a week. Um Frick. because there wasn't a whole lot of news going on. No great like, news at least. There was like some like Additions to Blizzard news from a couple weeks ago, which which will come up today because that's that's what we have on the docket. Uh, but the Blizzard news was sort of like a slow rumble um, in the last yeah. week or so because everything was was developing and now it's sort of come to a boil. But we'll 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 get to that though because 
Uh, before that, we uh, have gotten some games this week. Well, we didn't get these games. Well, we didn't. We get we got these games, just not from the. We publishers. were not given yeah. these games. Yes, uh, we actually paid for these ones, <laughs> <laughs> which, for the record, hap- happens most of the time. It's it's few few and far between. Somebody I don't remember gives the last time game. I paid for a video game. <laughs> it's not true. Twenty years. <laughs> don't. Don't take her seriously. We ain't we ain't no Jeff Gerstmann We're over here. We're such big shot celebrities. People are begging us for coverage, right? Oh man, it's true. Yeah, no. Like I paid Capcom forty nine ninety nine, no thirty nine ninety nine, uh, for me to <laughs> review Great Ace Attorney Wait. Chronicles for them. I paid them for that privilege. Before we do that, though, I have a quick thing to say. Okay, man, I've been working full time for one week. I had one week of full time work. And it's like you just stop playing video games. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy how much you go, what day of the week is it? And when's the last time I played a video game? And I, yeah, I mean, like, we should we should mention that, too. Like, that, that's a good thing you brought that up. Because, listener, obviously, you know, we are all... Well, Alex isn't in school anymore. But Janelle and I are both in school and working, you know, close, close to full-time. As close to full-time as you can get. Well, for me, you're full-time, Janelle, but... For me, as close to full-time as you can get in the part-time economy where nobody wants to provide you benefits and refuses to oh, give you full-time yeah. hours. So, <laughs> uh, so when we when we have games we review, it's, we, you know, g- give us a little bit of slack if we're not able to, like, complete the game because we don't, this isn't our job. Yeah, um, we don't make money off of this. So that, that, that being said, we have played an amount of the great Ace Attorney Chronicles, the new Ace Attorney video game, which uh, you you may know had previously never been released in Western territories, uh, as this was a game set uh, earlier in the Ace Attorney timeline in the Meiji period of Japan, and uh, also in the uh, is it is it the Victorian period? Yeah, yeah, of I've England. seen the Victorian, yeah. And um, because the game was was so. Th- thoroughly rooted well for two reasons one the game was very rooted in uh japanese culture it's it's full of like a lot of uh minor references to the meiji period references to like literature like natsume soseki from the era and stuff like that but more importantly because for some hilarious reason uh the sherlock holmes character they put in the game they just they could they could not put him in uh a game that would come out in America. So instead of f- fixing it, they never released the game until somebody at Capcom had the brilliant idea to name him Herlock Sholmes <laughs> <laughs> instead of Sherlock Holmes. And here he is, unchanged, finally, almost five years late, released in the West. Let me tell you something. Before I say anything about the quality of the game, which I think is high, <laughs> fucking soundtrack of the year perfect uh-huh. soundtrack it's incredible honestly soundtrack of the year i can't stop saying that it's so good the entire time we were playing um the first like trial i feel like i was being really annoying because every five minutes i was like look i know i said this already but this music right <laughs> or like this is such a bop right like it's excellent holy shit it's incredible it's incredible i'm freaking out do you incredible. know who it was in the music for this game uh nope i don't remember the um the composer's name. I can Google it, though. She will. She will, even. <laughs> and I will. Uh, listener, if you've never played an Ace Attorney game, it's basically a series of... Uh, what, what it is is they're, they're visual novels where you first investigate a crime and then you act as a defense lawyer uh, in a trial of the crime. Except the Ace Attorney games are set in a kind of weird parallel world where everybody is guilty until proven innocent. So you, uh, if you were to fail to, like, connect the evidence, you would lose. And basically, like, somebody will give a testimony or whatever, and they'll say something like, I was there at 9 p.m., and maybe you have, like, a picture that's, you know, time-stamped at 8.30, and you can hit a button and say, like, objection, and you can say, I know you were there 30 minutes before that. And you can kind of find these contradictions. It's like a logic puzzle. And um, also, a big visual novel story. Now, you haven't played one of these before, like... No. How do you how do you do you like this game? I know you said it's high quality, but you know, how do you feel? I do really like this game a lot. Um visual novels are something I used to be really into when I discovered anime in my adult life. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of started 
you know, just feeling whatever about them. Not like they were bad, but that I just wasn't super interested in them. This one is just so good and it feels enough not like a visual novel to be like pretty welcoming to people like me who are kind of like, eh, I'm not going to buy a new one. I already played Hey Tuffle Boyfriend, <laughs> the perfect visual <laughs> novel a few years ago. I think that one of the strongest things about the Ace Attorney series in this game is doing it in spades just as well as the others is that uh, it's nature as a courtroom trial means that even though visual novels are fairly um, sparse in terms of gameplay, because the gameplay is logic puzzles, it uh, it doesn't ever feel like you're not interacting with the game, right? Because even mm-hmm. just like reading the linear visual novel dialogue is actually a phase of the gameplay in some roundabout way. So I, I feel like it's, it's a really great system that kind of um, pulls people in and involves them. But like, obviously with this particular game, like what, what would matter in this review, right? Is that it's a period piece and uh, it, it does an excellent job with that. There's a really cool sort of concept in the game where uh, almost immediately you're, you're, you're out of Japan. You're on a steamship to Britain and the game... Well, by uh, almost immediately, you mean like five hours. Well, after the, it's the, <laughs> after the first case on a five-case game, right? Yeah. And um, the way that the game uses uh, the relationship between Japan and Britain and sort of the idea of this newly non-isolationist country taking its early steps into global diplomacy and trying to like learn from other cultures... It's really, really interesting. The characters will constantly call things out about how, like, well, if we were in London, you would be able to have the evidence because we would have saved it. But here in Japan, you know, it's all, like, lampshade exposition. Like, since it's the Meiji period, we don't do that yet or whatever. <laughs> so it it really, like, plays into the history in these kind of fun mechanical ways. And, like, the British characters are these... <laughs> obscenely over the top like aristocratic you know like like dickens characters and there's this japanese cop who is like undercover as a character for like a different thing and he's like well here in japan the police force is so new we don't gather evidence but i care about my job so much that i chose to gather every piece of evidence and you can call me crazy if you want but i'm not crazy and it's like okay i I find it very charming though great bit in that same first case where like the prosecution lawyer is trying to get the uh british woman who is the suspect of the the murder who who, in in the first case he's trying to clear her name and like every time she you know speaks english or something he's like fawning over her and he's like oh how beautiful her english voice is compared to our crass awful japanese and (laughs) <laughs> oh, he's he's a Britaboo. He's totally he's a Britaboo. An extreme Britaboo. Uh, and he uh, <laughs> he watches Doctor Who. He, d- <laughs> he says fences are cool. Yeah, and he yeah. and he does shit like like she'll say in English, which the game renders as uh, like this sort of nice cursive font in script. Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> she'll say that's her abduction thing. But she'll say something like absolutely not and then he'll go aha i have enough english to know what that means for the benefit of the court i will translate she said of course and then she'll be like no (laughs) you know it's all it's all just kind of like all funny little cartoon-ish jokes that play with this new period piece setting and uh it's it's charming as fuck it is charming as fuck um i have a lot of really positive things to say about it but I also have a couple of things that really bothered me in the first case. Tell me. And and like you said earlier, life has been really busy here lately. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten very far into the second case. So we're basing this off of the tutorialized mission, which I understand isn't what the rest of the game is like. But because it's the tutorial, there's a lot of moments where you kind of have to go over the same piece of evidence multiple times. And once you, the player, have figured out like, okay... I need to do this with this piece of evidence. The game will sometimes take a really long time, upwards of like 30 minutes before it goes, okay, you can now turn over this picture or something that you figured out a long time ago. Yeah. And for that reason, I feel like the first case really overstayed its welcome 
for me at least, I think that the third part of it could have been cut out um, and maybe fit into it a little bit differently than it was. It really overstated smoking for me. Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted because someone on the street is just freaking out right now and it's a little... Yeah, we live in a city. We live in a city. Uh, in a society. There's a particularly egregious example where in the beginning of the first case, one of the characters who, um, you know, ostensibly is a, a waiter at this restaurant hands you a, a business card of his that he's drawn on the back of. It's relevant to the case. He made a map of the restaurant, something like that. And if you're paying attention, it's it's... It's very much made obvious that there's something suspicious on the other side of the card. And because he's really uncomfortable about you looking at it, but the characters don't look at it. And you don't get the ability to like turn 3D models in the viewer to look at the card and get that clue until like two and a half hours later when the characters are like, What about that card? We should look at that. And then it's like, Use the right stick to turn the evidence. And if you. We're paying any attention. You 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 basically could have cracked maybe the whole first third of the case if yeah. you could have just turned the card right then and there. What example bothers me a lot more is towards the end. Um, the same guy has this piece of steak that he gives you, and he's like, "I kept both pieces of steak as evidence," and he gives you one that, as the player, you're like, "But steak clearly, like meat? Yeah, steak okay. like yeah. meat, beef beef steak." Yeah, yeah. They keep calling it beef steak, and I wish they oh, wouldn't. Oh, is it because it's like a beef eater reference? Are they in Britain yet? No. Uh, this is still in Japan, but oh, they're, gotcha, they're, gotcha. At a, they're at a British restaurant, though. Uh, uh, French restaurant. Western. Yeah, restaurant. Hey, anyways. Um, yeah, yeah. But he gives you, like, the wrong one, and as a player, you're like, okay, obviously this is the wrong one for this very obvious reason that you've deducted at this point, but it takes the game a really long time for the characters to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense, even though they keep kind of treading on almost saying, oh, yeah, that makes sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, because because you because you you don't you don't have the option to like input your own thought. You have the option to interface with the game to try to get the game to understand what your thought is. And right? I don't know. So if it's kind of at, at times that can be difficult. I don't know if that's the case later. I mean, it, I, you know, it's a video game, yeah. so of course there's an amount of that. But I think that because it was the tutorial and it really wanted you to understand everything about it. That stuff was a little bit more jarring. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be the more handholdy, I'm sure, in the yeah. beginning. Yeah, and it just as somebody who knows how to play video games, and I don't mean that in like an insulting way, but just like I have a pretty <laughs> decent understanding of these mechanics. Typically, it was kind of more annoying than anything. Although the case itself was really interesting and fun and ridiculous, and it really set a good tone for what the writing is like for the rest of the game. Yeah, presumably, we'll see. After I've played more. So far, yeah. very, very, very good. God, that soundtrack, though. It's very fun. Good game. By the way, I found out who who's the composer. What's the name? Yasumasa Kitagawa. He's Don't also he's only name. he's only done six things. He's done Resident Evil Umbrella Corpse. Have you ever heard of this game? Um, I haven't. I mean, I've heard of it. I think that's the the like third person it. shooter on like the the PS2. This it's was like got, their just multiplayer shooter. It's from 2016. Um, oh. Huh. It's got a 2.2 out of 10 stars, so cool. we should it's review a, this a, game. It's a competitive experience featuring yeah. new types of strategy and technique. Yeah, so huh. I'll check out the soundtrack, at least he yeah, has for the PS4. He did the yeah. Mega Man 11 soundtrack, it looks like, and a bunch of the Mega Man collections. Yeah, and a lot of Ace Attorney. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Very talented. Very talented dude. Yeah. Um, I got I got one more. I won't spend too long on it because we got some news. Okay. But uh, a game came out on Game Pass about a week ago, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I want to say on July 30th, I think, called The Ascent, which... Have you guys seen this? I mean, you've seen it now. I've seen me play it. But do you know what I'm talking about, Alex? I think you've... Is this the one that you've put in the group chat before we, you showed up? Yeah. That you showed us? Yeah, I saw a little bit of it, and you talked a little bit about it. But I want to hear more because... This is a... This is like a, it's an isometric twin stick shooter set in a uh, cyberpunk world on, on a planet called Velus, where um, people who live on the shitty earth want to go to Velus because there's these advertisements of like starting a new life off world. Like you've seen the blimp in Blade Runner, listener, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's basically the concept of this game is that people sign up to do that start a new life off world 
But because space travel is so astronomically expensive, um, when you get there, they immediately slap you with the cost that they told you they were covering. And it's basically like, okay, for the next 10 years, you will be working to pay off that debt and receiving nothing but company script. And the way the world building goes, of course, is that for the most random excuses for every little screw up or for every transfer, they reset your timer. And so everybody on Velus either dies as a slave or pays off their debt and becomes an independent contractor, which genuinely only means you get thrust out into the free market with no debt. And what do you do? Well, you probably have to go into more debt to be able to pay for anything because the company still owns the entire planet. So it's this pretty cool uh, premise for a cyberpunk world uh, that is, like any good cyberpunk at the core, pretty anti-capitalist, pretty pretty grimy. The game kind of looks like one of those 80s comics, kind of like Judge Dredd looking. It's like a big mega city they call the Arcology. Um, and, uh, you know, so far so good. The game is, is gorgeous. That's its main selling point. It's got this beautiful, beautiful art style and graphics, really uh, wonderful, dense cityscapes that are just a joy to explore. And so I was really excited to play this game because I, I got burned on Cyberpunk, uh, a different Cyberpunk video game that came out last year. That is, you know, <laughs> it's, this is it's a whole different thing. But um, uh, unfortunately, I hate to, I hate to say uh, the ascent is kind is kind of boring. It's kind it's kind of now when you first started playing it, you were very positive. About <laughs> I was it, at home at least, and then it was kind of sad seeing him very slowly go from. I don't know if I'm just not in the mood to play this tonight or if I'm not liking it. And then eventually he was like, it's pretty, so I want to keep playing it, but I really don't want to keep playing it. Honestly, yeah. like, it's boring in a way that if this happens to be your favorite thing, you'll probably really like it. You know how, like, JRPG fans can go back and play Final Fantasy 1 for 45 hours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't, it's like... If you really love Judge Dredd or something, I think that this game will be fun. Because the twin stick shooting um, is pretty uh, satisfying. It's got some nice, like, chunky mechanics, uh, some rudimentary cover. Um, but for the most part, it encourages you to constantly stay moving and swap between, you know, whatever two weapons you have equipped. And uh, just have some, some fun, like, blood splatter combat. Uh, you but, say twin stick shooting. Are we talking like Robotron here? Like, what's what sort of game is this? So uh, that that's where the weird stuff comes in. Mechanically, it's not just that the game is a little dull. It's that the game has really weird mixed priorities in terms of what it seems to want to accomplish. So it is a twin stick, you know, a la Robotron. Uh, yes, but uh, with a dodge button that basically puts you into an evade role. And uh, for the most part, while, while some weapons do fire projectiles, it, other weapons, they might not literally technically be hit scan, but they are set up that uh, if you're sufficiently close enough to somebody and you're not dodge rolling, um, you can't just step out of fire. You, you basically will take damage um, unless you're rolling, which is on a cooldown, or you're behind cover. And enemies can also take cover. So the combat doesn't have a lot going for it beyond like pointing the right stick in the direction and holding the fire button. But that would be fine if your left stick was constantly occupied with having to move around projectiles. Because in my opinion, that's where the whole fun of a twin stick shooter comes in. It's like working both sides of your, your brain at once. You have, this, you have to merge both types of movement and constantly keep them both in mind. But like in a game with hit scan weapons, you're going to take damage unless you're dodging or in cover. So it's just like, I don't know. Do you have enough health points to tank this guy's pistol? Just stand in front of him and fire your gun at him, I guess. Or do you not have enough damage to tank uh, these guys' stuff? 
hit the dodge button and you won't take damage, but then when you get up you will again until your dodge cools down and then you can do it again, but you can't shoot while you dodge, so you better get into cover, which just means crouching and then holding the left trigger to aim and shooting, and then you're just literally invincible unless someone flanks you. It's like, it just doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to do because it's leaning into both, like, prestige AAA game, like, chest-high wall shooter combat and twin stick at the same time. And then on top of that, why not slap RPG-style hit points and stats as well? Because that meshes so well with the twin-stick shooter, everyone's favorite fast-paced genre with numbers and charts and menus. So it's like, oh, and then why not have it be a Diablo light, where you pick up several different copies of the same weapon all the time, and enemies drop loot all the time. It just it's It's a weird, confusing thing to play. And it doesn't ever get, like, more mechanically engaging. It, the numbers just get bigger. So, uh, <laughs> I, I know, know I'm a lot more interested in the story. Yeah. Um, and you were telling me some pretty interesting things about why you thought that it kind of flopped as a critique of, like, capitalism. Well, the premise is, is pretty strong, uh, right? Like, I, I do think that the idea of this corporately owned planet where people are basically made into indentured servants on arrival and forced to work off their debt is is a pretty intriguing thing because it means that this entire megacity structure is like divided in between the people who live and work there and then the people who own and run the structure so there's this very um kind of like i'd i'd compare the atmosphere like to midgar almost if that makes sense uh in terms of that sort of like very video gamey um cyberpunk anti-capitalist aesthetic that is is really only more like a like a surface kind of like cover on top of things um but the thing that the game never does is one let you do anything except for be a total narc and two let cyberpunk let you yeah, (laughs) yeah like cyberpunk and two let you ever not be an agent of the status quo like you work for the landlord in your they call them stacks like habitation stacks you basically work for the landlord who is the guy that corporate feeds orders to like keep the people that live in the stack in line and it starts with you uh doing like basic maintenance work for him and then all of these 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 like crises happen and you have to go into crisis mode and you know, people get get kidnapped and you got to go save them and all this stuff. It would so it's an interesting beginning of the story for you to be sort of like a corporate lapdog that would, you know, presumably lead to something more interesting. Uh but what what happens is that he get he gets killed and you get transferred to a different corporation. And then you become their lapdog instead. And I'm not kidding when I say that you're you're doing asset grabbing and also killing people for like vaguely defined property crimes. Like they, they basically go like, hey, we this stack lost power and we would like to own that stack. So you should go take it. And then you go there and a bunch of like people who live there and gang members are like, fuck, it's the fuzz, and we'll pull out guns, and you just kill all of them. And then the story is like, all right, good job. Now you have to go find this man for this other fetch quest. And it, it's not like the game is endorsing your actions, but it's like, can I just not, can the story be anything except for me being a narc that kills people because corporate tells me to? Are you going to do anything interesting with that concept? Because, you can't just, um, in storytelling, I don't think you can just, like, present something without the intent of saying anything about it and, and be like, look, we did the thing. We did the thing that the genre does in this genre. <laughs> but it, we don't know why they did it. Yeah, yeah. Or what to do with it you, at all. <laughs> you know Destiny? Uh, the, the streamer? The streamer Destiny. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, if Destiny were turned into a video game. <laughs> politically yeah yeah uh i mean it's you know it, it does have like some kind of 
it's it's got a lot of the cyber like like okay can can somebody make a cyberpunk game that doesn't have a yakuza clan that like runs the city what what is up with like i mean that's a really popular like criticism of cyberpunk is the sort of like orientalism that surrounds that even this game set on an alien planet does not escape cyberpunk orientalism yeah and I'm not saying you can't have a cool Yakuza clan in your cyberpunk thing. That That's fine. I mean, I've read William Gibson. There's nothing wrong with even things being set in, literally, in Japan. Or, like, the sort of, like, pigeon language they use in Blade Runner is really is really fascinating. And, and But, like, you, you can't create a meaningful genre fiction purely by mimicking genre pastiche. You can't be, like... Blade Runner uh, had J- Japanese characters on things, and and also kanji, and also it was raining a lot, and there was neon, and corporations are bad, and that's all we need to write our story, and that's that's it. That's the whole genre. That's not it's not how it works, and it seems like there's this rash of cyberpunk games that do that, and I don't know if it's because they don't have the ambition to do something more than that, or if that's just kind of as far as like Microsoft is is interested in, I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say. It, it, why why is that so common? Yeah. Is it like an accident, or is it just because they know mostly people are playing a twin stick shooter for the sake of shooting things? It's not like maybe it's my fault that I went into this hoping for an interesting cyberpunk story when it just was trying to be an action game, but. It's structured like a CRPG with these big, like, 35, 40-minute sections with no combat and and pure dialogue and prestige tour walkabouts, except none of the dialogue is good. So it's like if you wanted to make an action game and not spend effort on the story, you should have just done that. Because you didn't do that, but then you didn't write a story for it. So I don't know. I'm very frustrated at The Ascent. I don't think I would be frustrated at it if I wasn't so excited to play it when I first downloaded it. You know, you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we're at like the halfway mark and that this isn't on the list, but could you, would you mind giving like a 60 second first impressions of another game you've been playing? Uh, which? Fantasian? Yeah. Yeah, I can do oh, that yeah. so quick. The uh, creator of, of Final Fantasy, um, I want to say his name is Hironobu uh, Sakaguchi. Fact check that for me, listener. Um and also fact check this one for me too. Composer uh, Naobu Uematsu, I want to say. Actually, I guess Nell's fact checking that for me literally director. right now. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's his name. The composer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi and uh, Naobu Uematsu made uh, Fantasian. It's not the first game they've made together. Obviously, that isn't Final Fantasy. They have a, actually a, a studio called Mystical, I think, where they, they made like Lost Odyssey and uh, some other stuff back in the you know seventh gen. But um, this is an Apple Arcade exclusive game, and uh, the gimmick is that it is like a... Imagine, like, the pre-rendered backgrounds of a PS1 RPG, but what they did is they hand-constructed 150-plus dioramas and uh, photographed them with high-res cameras. And they're these really big, really detailed dioramas. And, uh, like, for example, one diorama will be, like, an entire town. And then the, uh, you know, quote-unquote pre-rendered backgrounds will be various photographs zoomed in and out on that diorama with 3D characters, you know, layered on top of it. Prettiest game of ever. And if you, like, enter a store or whatever, the interior of the store will be its own separate diorama photograph. And it is beautiful it is it's it's so beautiful and the music is amazing because how could it not be because of the guys that did it and it's got really it's got a really fun battle system uh it's good i don't know about the story yet i just started it but it's, it's really good so that's that's that i i'll talk about it later maybe but we have to not spend too much time on it so <laughs> thanks for reminding me though yeah our cat just pooped i can't breathe <laughs> what's what's up in the news uh, well, we have some updates on the Blizzard story that we reported on last time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a bummer. This is a little bit less of a bummer. Um, to start with, uh, the president of Blizzard, uh, J. Allen Brack, uh, was fired from Blizzard. 
Um, the higher-ups at, I think, Activision... I can't remember the guy's name all of a sudden, but it was basically like, we gotta change stuff, so we'll get rid of this guy. There were... Or there was, I think, one other person um, that they got rid of, but... For the sake of um, accuracy, it, nothing is said that he has been fired. Really? That, it just that he's stepped down is what I have seen, and that's what the article that we're going to link says. Um, yeah, he's, it says he's uh, leaving, leaving the company. Yeah. Uh, the quote from Bloomberg is, I made a cultural reckoning. So. Yeah. Okay, he, so he, thank, he, thank I you mean, for that which, correction. Which, like, as we all know, means, like, if you don't leave, we're going to fire you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so. um, I mean, that's that's cool. I would like to see maybe higher up the chain they could take a look at this. But, like, I think that this is a decent start. Um, yeah, Janelle, you, yeah. Are, you are the big Blizzard fan here. I'm curious what, what your take is on this. This, you know, he pisses me off. I'm really glad that they're getting rid of him. He was the keynote speaker at PAX 2018, 2018, I think. And I was there and I just like his whole story. I admired him so much. I thought he was such like a cool guy and he seemed like a really genuine dude. And like, obviously, like that disappointment is nothing like the people who worked under him. But it's just like, man this guy really sucks and I'm really glad that they're doing this with that being said you know like he's he's just one person in the company and he's not even the person that people are like saying has done like the particularly shitty things he's just the guy who's been like oh I, I didn't know that this stuff was happening right under my nose Yeah, you yeah. know so like it's a good start, but if they don't do anything else after this or get rid of any more people, it's not going to really amount to anything, I think, is how I feel about it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it is a good start. We talked about that little clip of that woman asking them when they're going to stop making their female characters so over-sexualized, and he's one of the guys on the stage being like, ha imagine that. That's ridiculous. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> It's, How could was, we? Was Jesse McCree up there too? Do you remember? I don't remember. I did not realize this whole time that the character in Overwatch, Jesse McCree, is named after. Because I know this was uh, there was an anecdotal story by uh, 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 Kotaku where they talked about how they spent time at the like Cosby estate, mm -hmm. and his name was cited in that, and people were Cos pretty upset. Cosby Suite, yeah. yeah, the Cosby Suite, yeah. The Cosby uh, Cosby's estate is a whole different thing, but. Mm -hmm. At the Cosby Suite. And he was one of the names that was cited in it, and people were very upset that now this, like, in-universe legacy has kind of been tainted by having this guy's name and being named after him, so. I don't think that renaming him would be, like, a bad idea or anything like that. I think that would be a good idea, but at this point it's, like, it's already been said and done. I don't know. I think that the majority of people don't know that he was named after him or know anything about him. Um... And I don't know. They should still change it, though. I don't know. Yeah, I get you. I, uh, I, I think that another really important part of this story is that uh, in, in the wake of this, because like, like you said, Janelle, like firing one person or, you know, having a higher up send a company email or an open letter to people saying, like, we'll listen and try to be better d doesn't uh, constitute meaningful consequence or meaningful change right and uh, i think that another important part of this story is that a uh, a group of activision blizzard employees formed a uh, coalition and are making demands with uh you know through through organization through the formation of a a, a workers alliance you know, I'm not sure that this could be officially called a union. I don't. I don't believe they're officially unionized. It might unionized, be very but deliberately it's... not called a union because of all the trouble they yeah. get in, right? Yeah. So it's it may not be officially a union, but the uh, the ABK, which is you know the the acronym for uh, Activision Blizzard King, is sort of like the as King King King's another subsidiary of the company. Um, ABK Workers Alliance made demands and. Uh, 
I wanted to read this part of their letter they sent to Blizzard that I, I think is important. They said, quote, We communicated a list of four demands aimed at protecting our most vulnerable workers. These are, one, an end to forced arbitration and employment agreements, two, the adoption of inclusive recruitment and hiring practices, three, increases in pay transparency through compensation prices, and four, and I think this is the most important one personally, an audit of ABK policies and practices to be performed by a neutral third party. Importantly, we demand that this third party be selected by an employee-led diversity, equity, and inclusion task force. And then they write, quote, in response to our demands, you wrote a letter to employees expressing a commitment to doing a better job of listening. And um, I just think that's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's not that doesn't that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it means something, but it's but, it's a, yeah. it's a very corporate speak type of something, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's worth noting too that uh, Blizzard hired a like union busting firm after this, and one of the like main figureheads was a member of the the Bush administration who toured, I believe it was uh, Ahu Grab, and said like, "Yeah, this is fine." When there was like inhumane torture going on there, yeah. Uh, um... it, it the the group is named Wilmer Hale. And they are a group with a, uh, a a specific history of being hired by companies, um, most notably by Amazon and Uber, uh, as a you know, quote unquote union busting firm to come in and and like discourage worker organization. Um, and m- most importantly, sorry, really quick, the h- Blizzard hiring Wilmer Hale to come in was. What Blizzard claims was their response to the fourth demand to have someone come in and audit company policies. So the workers came and demanded someone come in and audit the company policies of abuse and and, and worker abuse, and they hired union busters. Um, can I make a small... Yeah. Po- uh, maybe we're talking about different people here, Alex, but potentially I have a small correction i believe you're talking about fran townsend maybe let's see and um because yeah she is the former homeland security advisor to george bush yep and i think it's important to mention here that what you said isn't completely correct they didn't just bring her in as some anti-union busting person she's actually the vice president for corporate affairs at activision blizzard yeah this was this was so much worse Um, this was well well before the incidents right this is not she wasn't brought in for this she was already there yeah exactly she's the one who we quoted as saying something along the lines of like these people don't know what they're talking about they have the wrong story so she's actually a lot worse than you think alex sorry to tell you that damn and i already thought she was pretty bad but yeah, the but the yeah. group that Am- the not not Amazon sorry different big evil core <laughs> the the group that Blizzard brought in to 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 like audit and and check on their work practices has a statement on their website on advertising their services to potential clients that says their services include quote advising on union awareness and avoidance it's like you can't. They, they demanded, I'm sorry I'm harping on this, but they demanded an impartial auditor. And they have I don't people know. who work I think this is, this is, I think it's ridiculous. I just, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's so frustrating. Because, like, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that in the wake of all of the stuff coming out of Blizzard, if you were in charge of Blizzard right now, how could you not be saying, okay, guys, we're in the mud. We're, we're completely in the gutter on this. There's no way we're turning around public opinion. We sure as shit aren't turning around public opinion by busting the, the union. But how about but we, how about we try to do money? But at the, why couldn't they just be like, okay, we'll shuffle around leadership and we'll bring in an auditing firm and we'll try and fix some things around here. Okay. It'll require some changes. It'll require a lot of the old guard being shuffled out, but Hey, the people want World of Warcraft. We can keep making that. People can, you know, we make enough money. We can pay our workers a little bit better. We can, you know, 
weed out the people that are causing these issues and try and make a better culture so we can create art that everyone loves in a place that everyone loves. But instead, they're like, nah, fuck the union. Like, because that like was, right right now you're going to crush worker organization when you're being accused of all this stuff? Because that threatens their, like, power, right? I know, like, but that's it's what like, they're afraid uh, of. It's, it's obscene, man. It's wild No, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, yeah. But, like, I think it's really eye-opening, and it shows, mm-hmm. like, how afraid big companies are of workers having any power. Any yeah. power. You have to acknowledge, even in, in America, that, like, unionization and the power of unions decreases all the time because it's like constantly being lobbied against it's really really hard to legally have a union and do everything the right way Mm -hmm. there's it's it's unnecessarily complicated by design right and with companies like this or organizations like this that want to and exist pretty much just to squash them right like it is in the company's best interest and they're obviously laser focused on making sure that workers don't get a, a smidgen of power yeah i mean uh like union busting is these these groups that that's this is the worst part is that they 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 work because you think of like the unionization vote in bessemer alabama with amazon they didn't necessarily suppress the vote outright right they like had basically disseminated anti-union propaganda to the point that when the vote was actually held, most people voted against unionizing, even though they literally worked at Amazon in 2020. (laughs) The worst place that there was. The strategy is usually like talking about how complicated unions are and the, the, the frustrations of union laws and helping people will just get exasperated and say, this is easier. We don't have to worry about it. If this is here, it'll make our lives more complicated. Yeah. They'll they'll neglecting the fact that it's by, it was meticulously crafted by like that by lawmakers, by design. Well, they'll basically come in and, and explain to you how if you have a union, you'll have to pay them dues and they won't do anything for you and it'll make it more difficult for us to communicate, and they don't work on the site, they don't know how the job goes, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But Some things that never, are just flat-out lies, and some things that are just of course, like of course, frustrating yeah. half-truths, right? Like, Yeah, it, right. But never forget that before we had subtle union-busting propaganda to prevent workers from organizing, we had the Pinkertons, and they shot people, and they killed them, and some of their families. Hey, remember how the Pinkerton organization so, tried to sue Rockstar for depicting the Pinkertons in Red Dead Redemption as like a bloodthirsty <laughs> gang? It, it's like it's crazy were. that it's crazy that one they're doing that, and two that they're still around. Like, right? who, do you, like who do you think you were, the Pinkertons <laughs> in a, a, a detective agency? So going back, going back to video games, um, yeah. I wanted to mention. I think it was last week, Nolan. You we were talking about Square Enix a little bit, and you were like. But we don't know about anything happening with them. Like, they're still good. Uh-oh. Remember that? Is something happening at Square? Well, this actually... So, first off, there's, like, a known sexual abuser who worked on Kingdom Hearts. So, I guess that, like, has a history of Wait, being who? the Do case. You know the um, I can find it and put it in the description. It's... If you look up Square Enix allegations, it's, like, the first thing you'll see. But I saw a Twitter thread earlier today, and this will be quick because it's not on our docket, but a Twitter thread earlier today from somebody who works on Final Fantasy fourteen who was working on Stormblood, who posted a lot of text messages that um, she doesn't say exactly who they're from, just that she was a higher up compared to her, at least in the company, who made her really uncomfortable. And some of the texts are really, really creepy. So I think that's just a good reminder that even if people like us who like tend to have our finger on the pulse for this kind of stuff, don't always know how awful these companies are. And again, like I keep reiterating every episode, it feels like, Blizzard isn't the only one doing this. It's also every other company. And we're going to talk about that in a second with an indie darling. And you just really need to, I don't know, educate yourself. I hate when people say educate yourself, but like educate yourself on the companies that you're spending money on. Like, yeah, this is not going to go away unless we're, we're vigilant and like fighting for it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. innocent until proven guilty, but once proven guilty, like demand more. Yeah. I'm pretty sure on the very first episode of the Emerald Games cast, we we talked about uh, the uh, the GMU, the Game Makers Union. Effort, I think so, yeah. Um, because of the allegations coming out at that time of the, um, or rather, the expose of Rockstar's crunch culture with Red Dead Redemption Two, 
and this is, uh, this is a thing in video games. Like, it's not going to go away unless we fight against it. I don't know, man. If you listen to 71 episodes of this show and you take one thing away, I guess it should be probably try to have a union if you work anywhere. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. also maybe you could take away something cool about video games. We do talk about those. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do talk about video games sometimes on this video game podcast. Speaking of shitty stuff, uh, and the and the Pinkerton. Yeah, let's, the cover, let's cover this what's, up. Quick. What's the next one, Nolan? I feel like you have a personal yeah. I was going to say relationship to the story. Uh, I do. I don't really know um, a lot of the uh, the details of this story, uh, but the co-founder or or yeah, the co-founder of Fulbright Games, which is a um, indie game studio in portland that uh is the creator of gone home in tacoma and incidentally uh St- steve gainer the guy in question here was the first person i ever interviewed for um like a, a piece of video game press so this one kind of kind of hits for me um yeah, has stepped down from his role as the creative lead on their upcoming game open roads uh because of multiple allegations of him uh mistreating employees at the company uh, especially uh, of women at the company and it's it's a it's a very small it's a very small company too mm-hmm. it's not they they had i think probably less than 50 people yeah 12 employees have left uh or 50 sorry 15, 15. employees have left and With i think now six that there's remaining like, yeah and you know because of that it's it's going to be one of those small teams that is going to be sort of like a you know pseudo family atmosphere when i talked to steve gainer on on the phone uh he told me that during the creation of gone home they were literally in somebody's house for a lot of it um because they i think they were like six or seven people at that time and uh it's apparently and again details are vague but apparently uh his his demeanor as a director and as a leader uh, was considered by some people to be um bordering on abusive mm. um to the point where a lot of people quit a lot of people uh, did not want to be involved in 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 working with him or rather threatened to quit if he was not gonna stop being in charge of them i think lately i've sounded really preachy but um i guess in trigger warning for my language so if you don't want to hear me talk about like sexual abuse feel free to skip ahead but you don't have to have been raped or you don't have to kill yourself, or you don't have to have had something like that happen to have this stuff matter. That yeah. stuff is very important. But just because he hasn't actively, like, sexually assaulted anybody or caused anybody, like, you know, a loss of life, doesn't mean that this stuff isn't serious. And yeah. I think this stuff gets kind of pushed under the rug sometimes because it's, oh, he's just making people uncomfortable. But it's incredibly important that we keep an eye out for that stuff too because i mean for like a lot of reasons one you should just never have to feel uncomfortable where you work and unfortunately i'm i'm very very pro union so don't get me wrong but like even if you're unionized like that won't necessarily protect you from having a really shitty abusive manager so like we should definitely be keeping an eye out for this stuff for that reason but also like most of the time it doesn't just stop at being like a shitty abrasive asshole right so Again, like I said last week, even smaller companies, especially smaller companies who have a little bit less oversight, like are very prone to having these sorts of things happen. And you've really got to be diligent about who you're buying from. And I know I'm really preachy, but this stuff is very important to me. I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I think it's worth noting, especially on the back of the Blizzard thing, that what's happening here is still not okay, but it's not on the scale of Blizzard. Like they, Mm -hmm. they cite in this expose from Polygon that like, a lot of the women didn't experience sexual harassment or sexism. They talked about the sort of toxicity and microaggressions that, mm-hmm. that kind of compounded, which, again, is not at all good or permissible, but it's not on the scale of some of the stuff we were talking about with Blizzard last week. Um, but that doesn't mean that it should still be allowed, like we were saying, or like Janelle was saying, to be more accurate. Not that we disagree, but... <laughs> God, I hope. Wouldn't that be, be a very yeah. uncomfortable episode of the Emerald yeah. Games cast? Yeah. The Emerald Labor Debate cast. Like, I don't know. Support unions and also support getting rid of shitty fucking horrible people like Fran Townsend and 
fucking yeah. Steve Gaynor. A lot, a lot, a lot of the same. A lot of that's the same thing. Uh, yeah, but you know, unless you're, hey, unless you you're, at, unless no. you're like in the in like the hey, '60s and you're in the Teamsters um, Union and actually, you got Jimmy Hoffa or something. Actually, not to, <laughs> not to discredit you, but um, a personal story. Nolan used nah. to work at a grocery store that had a union, and um, he still had a shitty manager who would like comment on women. So, like again, yeah, be in a union if you can, or support unions, or support people who should be in unions, but also like. Don't assume that just because you've done one important step, that means the work is over. Right. Unions yeah. in of themselves can or cannot be ineffective, right? I mm-hmm. think that the point and what, what is demonstrated by this Blizzard story uh, quite well, and also things like the, the, the walkout that was staged, and way earlier back we reported on a, a walkout at Riot over yeah. pretty similar pretty similar issues is that like it's not just like having a union and having like the chapter patch or whatever it's it's about recognizing that if you're in a company that makes games they need you more than you need them and that that's power that you have yeah and obviously it's not power that helps protect you from being sexually abused by your boss because you can't arbitrate those things away in a meeting but you can stand you know yeah. Up for people like that and hope that they can get help and I don't know. We don't we I, don't have any power over here in Seattle, but I, I just I'm it's it is good to see that like you know what has, has led to all of these people being being weeded out and, and all of all of this changing is like consistent reporting mm-hmm. and exposing of 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 uh, labor abuse and employee abuse, like by by people like Jason Schreier, by by the reporters at Polygon, these days, by the people at Kotaku these days, you know, games and biz, whatever, like making this an issue that people care about because Games Press never used to talk about these things, and now they're talking about it, and people were not having walkouts and firing presidents of game companies in the '90s, but you know this shit was happening. Mm-hmm. So we know about a certain Mr. Hot Tub. Yeah, it's like Doctor Atari yeah. himself. It's uh, you know, yeah. It's it's important stuff, and it's yeah, it's sad. Really and, quick though, uh, I think what's know. sad about this is that after the Blizzard stuff came out, people were saying like, "Oh, support indie games because those are going to be made much Mm-mm. healthier." I mean, yeah, and that's not always true. Like we see here, there there is no HR in, in when you have like a studio of like. 50 people right yeah like yeah and, and it sucks because like we've talked like nolan interviewed these guys i have said multiple times that i i adore gone home and i think it's a, a very good game and not worthy of the hate that it got um and i wish all of the best for for the people involved with this but it's like you know don't be afraid to to, to criticize your heroes if they come out and and do something that you don't find acceptable like this i mean damn like i i had a little bit of cognitive dissonance when i read uh, Jason Schreier's most recent book, uh, Press Reset, he has a chapter about what it was like to work for Ken Levine at Irrational during the uh, creation of Bioshock. And uh, in this article about Steve Gaynor, people said one of the issues was that Steve Gaynor was sort of acting like he was Fulbright, that the company was synonymous with his own creative vision, and that anybody who conflicted with him was dumb and wrong, and he would humiliate them. And like, I love Bioshock. I, it does. This doesn't affect the quality of the art. But like, if you read the book, that's what everybody says about Ken Levine. That's what people have been saying Ken Levine for literally years. Like, yeah. that's one of the reasons that Infinite turned out the way it did. Right. Such like, to the point over that budget. like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. It sucks. Um, things suck, but this doesn't mean that we should just like sit back and be defeatist. Like we can make a better world if we are aware and if we are willing to fight for it. Right. One with all the video games. Yeah, a better world <laughs> with, with lots of video games. I think the world would be better with less video games. You think so? And yeah. No, and no Twitter, and no Discord. But which video games will you cut? And no internet. Okay, let's say this. Let's say this to round out the episode on a on a happy note. Nell. Janelle wants to. He's going full anarcho primitivist here. You say the world is better. Could be better without video games. I want to take you in a very literal sense, and let's say League of Legends. No, no, no. Let's say you can only cut two video games, and they have to. The you have to pick 
carefully to make the world better to the most, to the highest degree. Okay. What's the butterfly effect here that you can target? League of Legends and Counter-Strike Global Offensive. (laughs) League of Legends, World of Warcraft, boom, better world. Easy. Just like that, like that. I'm snapping my finger, like instantly. No, CSGO is way worse, dude. That's like... Look, man, I've never been, like, threatened with rape on WoW. <laughs> like, <laughs> CSGO, fucking get that shit out of here. Get those... You know what I cut? Anime. It's <laughs> just a video all game. anime. Because it's always these creeps in video games like CSGO who are awful, who always have fucking anime avatars. You guys ever seen Why the... Why is uh, that, you think? You ever seen the... I don't know. I like anime, but there's... It's because they're sad. You guys ever seen the political compass meme of, like, pr- like Twitter profile pictures? Yeah. The what? No. The political like, compass meme of Twitter profile pictures? Uh-huh. No, I don't think so. The, um, like, lib right is just a bunch of people with, like, like American flag hats and trucks, and then, like, off left is, like, pictures of Stalin and Mao and stuff, and, and lib left is, like, pick crew images like that people made like of themselves or like or like animal crew or like animal crossing characters but <laughs> off right is like all anime, it's all anime characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm changing my profile picture no. as we speak <laughs> uh, that's your really funny cast. Hmm. well thanks for listening to the <sighs> annual games cast sorry about another bummer but sometimes video games aren't always fun and games of video in the immortal words of alex mcknight Sometimes video games are a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I wonder when I said that. It must have been a while ago, right? <laughs> it was immortal. It's it's going to echo through... The, well, like I said at the beginning of the episode, the world will be radically different in seven days because of Idris Elba's Knuckles announcement. That's so we don't right. really know. Time is different these days. I love yeah. that the butterfly effect has worked in a way and that we live in the universe. Where I was just, just like, given a flying car. Like, everyone has one those now. It's crazy. Hey. Guys. Wait. Okay, go. What, what are you going to say? I was just going to say, listener. I, I, listener, I, I can't believe I got so mad at Blizzard's union busting firm that I that I brought up that the Pinkertons killed people. <laughs> was that, was that weird? Was that no, weird that, that I did that? that? No, that <laughs> literally ties into what we talked about in our first episode and what was an issue with... With the Pinkertons suing Rockstar for their I mean, depiction I mean, in the video game. I know that both of those things are very real pieces of labor history, but, like, would it... I don't know. Would would, would that not be, like, if I were, like, ah, oh, my, my local governor is is bad, and he, he runs the cops, and they kill people sometimes? I mean, I guess that would be pretty reasonable, actually. You know what? I stand by what I said about the Pinkertons. <laughs> I take it all back. The Pinkertons <laughs> are not good. Pinkertons are canceled. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. I am yawning. <laughs> okay, this is... I'm not even listening to you. Listener, if there's anything <laughs> I want you to get out of this episode, it's that I've always been really into lost media, and lately it's been like my like itch for it has come back and all I can think about lately is how all I want is to see like the original cut of Sonic the Hedgehog the movie oh. and like look I know we have like a couple hundred people at best listen to us you know but like just in case the future or if you're really special if you can get that to me I would literally do anything I'll take out a loan I'll pay you ten thousand dollars just hit me up email us at emeraldgamescast at gmail.com is if somebody had the original cut of Sonic, I mean, they could probably find somebody who would pay them millions for it. Fuck you! I'm don't just tell saying. Them that. They'd find that. They'd find that they guy. Don't, don't listen to. Don't don't listen to him. That guy that like jacked like pharmaceutical prices up and bought the Wu Tang album. Martin Shkreli. Yeah. He he probably has the original cut of Sonic. <laughs> Did the state seize the Wu Tang album? Yeah. I remember hearing yeah. about that. Now no one can listen to the Wu Tang album. So like, which state owns the Wu Tang album? Because I know that Rhode Island owns Kingdoms of Amalur. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna do Did it. Did you guys know that? No. <laughs> That's gonna do it for the Emerald Games Cast episode seventy one. That game got a remaster like last year. Do they have to contact Rhode Island? <laughs> the that remaster like, was not last year. That EA doesn't was own the rights to that ago. game. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. It's a good game, by the way. Is this like right, how so Sing- I hear. Is this like how Singapore is gonna own the uh what's it called? The 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 
the pirate game that's coming out from Ubisoft because they took <laughs> out a loan. They, they took out a loan from the Singaporean, if that's how you say it, government. And, like, they have to make this the game Singaporean now, legally. <laughs> what? Yeah, this is a real thing. Uh. So, like, it... it if something gets fucked up, there's a chance that the government of Singapore, <laughs> that city-state in Mal- outside Malaysia, will own that video game. Thank you for clarifying for us what Singapore is. Why, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to let you why know. Why did you do that? Well, you know, what if, you know, Americans don't know a lot about geography, so. I thought you meant that island outside of Manhattan. No, Does... that's Manhattan. That's the same island. Does Dubai not feel real to you guys? I'm thinking about Dubai's, this all day. Dubai's a joke. Du- Dubai's a joke. No, don't. I don't no, think it's... Dubai. I think it's made up. I, I'll believe like, it when I see it. Like, it's so cool. Like, it, it seems so cool that I don't even think it's real. I think it's only an overall. I'm not, I'm not. It's, okay, it's, it's funny what you're saying, though, because this is a thing people talk about. Like, obviously, I'm not saying that, like, old Dubai or that, like, people who live in Dubai or, or Dubai and culture or whatever is a joke. Like, Dubai itself, I'm sure, is a very interesting city. But Dubai is also the closest real-world example we have of, like, a modern city existing in the same way that those Wild West towns that if you go on the other side of the buildings are all propped up on sticks is, like, that city is built to look flashy, but it has so little functional infrastructure for anybody that isn't a millionaire. Yeah, it's a monarchy, too. It's it's like, it it is, like, the most, like, seriously... You should Google it. It's like the most bizarre case of a city just being like semi-functional. It's basically like a wealth haven. It's really weird. Listener, if you're from Dubai and you have the original copy of Sonic the Hedgehog before they remake him, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, DM us. We are way DM over time. Us. We got to wrap this puppy up. Yes, we do. Okay. That was it on the games cast. Episode 71. I already said that part. Oh, really? Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, well, it's, you, still the, it's still the Emerald Gamescast episode seventy one. Like that hasn't changed. If you are a uh, a if if you are a listener and uh, either a Pinkerton, a Union Buster, <laughs> or an Oil Baron living in Dubai, I'm sorry if I offended you. <laughs> <laughs> Cover uh, all your bases with that. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, uh, gl- glad. <laughs> you listen. Uh, you can email past. us if you're not one of those things at emeraldgamescast at gmail.com. You can uh, email us if you're not one of those things too. We just might not read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We you have a Twitter like... account too at ODE Gamescast. You can uh, get in touch with us with an anonymous Google form or just read and follow our tweets, laugh at our dumb memes. You know how, like, in the past, people were named after, like, their job? Yeah. Do you think that, like, the pink, like, Pinkerton, do you think they'll have pink eye? Or something? No. They got a ton of uh, pink. They had, like, a ton of pink eye. They all wear, like, pink outfits with, like, Riddler question marks on. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to investigate. Hmm. Who committed the... (laughs) Fucking goofy, like, Hanna-Barbera cartoon villains. Like, (laughs) Mr. Pinkerton, somebody broke into Fort Knox and stole all the gold. (laughs) We've got to solve the case. Come on, gang. And they all hop in their, like, cartoon horse and buggy and it bounces along the road. John Marston, you've been a bad, bad boy. <laughs> Thank you for listening. The wife is dying, Arthur. You ever seen an automobile? You're riding a stinky horse. <laughs> Here's a new gun for you, Jonathan. <laughs> you have to pull the hammer back before you fire that revolver. Mine goes pop, 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 pop. One trigger pull. I'm better than you. He, like, pulls right. on his bow tie, it spins around, makes a little noise and he just floats up in the air oh no it's the Pinkerton <laughs> signal some workers are trying to organize <laughs> come on gang let's hit them with our big mallets and they all come out of like their clown car with giant cartoon weapons alright that's enough of we that we gotta okay. finish the episode <laughs> alright see you next week for uh you know episode 72 bye <laughs>